podcast growling Mean and angry Hear those co-hosts shout him All right, welcome into the Growler edition of Here That Podcast. Growling, Paul Ener Jr. and Jay Morrison of The Athletic uh, are here with you as we go full steam into the boo. Battle of Ohio week is here. The excitement and the energy in town is just, it's hard to, it's, it's just, you can feel it, you know? You can just feel the excitement of this game this week, can't you, Jay? You can, it's going to double. 12,000 this this week. They, they only had 6,000 <laughs> for the last home game. That's true. That's true. It's going to be loud and proud, uh, I guess, down at Paul Brown Stadium. Or double the booze for the boo. Only fitting there can be more booze at the boo. I guess. You're, one way or the other, you're going to see that because whoever loses this game is in a world of hurt. And I, I imagine we're going to see quite a few Browns fans, as you typically do, um, at, at a boo game. Yeah. So we've got uh, a little bit to get to here. Uh, the big... Uh, thing here is going to be Zach Jackson uh, is going to join us to talk about Cleveland and where they're at. A really good conversation back and forth with him, not just about the Browns, but some of the where the Bengals are at. And I uh, think you'll really enjoy that. So uh, looking forward to uh, Zach coming up here later. I'm going to talk a little bit about my least favorite term in all of sports, I think. I don't know. I'd have to really have... Shout me your send me your least favorite term on Twitter uh, at Paul Dan Jr. If you have one, but I think mine might be must win. Like I just I really despise it, but it's in the conversation this week, and I would say as close to rightfully so as possible. Um, I want to tie a bow on the conversation we had on Tuesday about Carlos Dunlap and Gino Adkins, with a little bit more uh, light to shed on that. Um, we have the Bengals growler bet for you, of course, and I have to shout out Bill Douglas. Uh, I don't know how this happened. Apologies to Bill, who emailed me as a longtime listener and first-time growler participant, as many of you seem to be. There's so many of you, I can't stop from giving away free beer anymore. I need to hire an intern. I know. We need, so we need to hire, I need to hire Optimistic Bobby. Just to get all these beer deliveries going, Bill Douglas, shout out, hit the 78.3 passer rating from Joe Burrow. So we had a 78.2, a 78.3, and a 78.4 last uh, last week. So Bill hits it. So the growler bets, people, it's getting harder. Apparently, I got to make it harder on you. So wait till you hear this one. Jay and I will have our game predictions, too. All that coming your way. Um. I want to start here, and it's with that dreaded must-win term that I despise. But look, t- Tennessee and Pittsburgh are next. They're 5-0. and They're playing each other. Pittsburgh is just destroying everything in its path. Derrick Henry is, you know, destroying everything in his path. Those, those don't really look like winnable games. Those look like, let's hope that Joe Burrow is still healthy after these two games. Um. The idea of losing to the Browns going 0-5 in this critical stretch, which would include getting embarrassed in Baltimore and blowing a 21-point lead and then getting swept by the Browns for the season, is a demoralizing stretch that makes you wonder 
who all will survive it. And obviously most of the talk right now is everyone screaming and yelling about fire Zach Taylor and fire the coach. And everybody wants the coach fired after every loss. And certainly we're at that point and the numbers speak for themselves there. But I wonder, you know, you wonder if there will be, if there would be a mid season fall guy, if you hit this stretch and it doesn't go well, I, I think it's an interesting question um, worth discussing right now and perhaps what's on the line for this game. This could buy you what you need to get to that second half of the season where you have a little bit more hope to string some wins. I mean, who would who would that fall guy be at, at midseason? I, It'd have to be Lou, right? That's what I was thinking. And you do have a linebackers coach in Al Golden who has defensive coordinator and head coaching experience, but – I don't know. You you wonder. Obviously, Zach handpicked all these guys that are here that that weren't carryovers. There's only a few carryovers, um, and Lou was the last one he hired. We we talked about you know that it was right before the combine before they finally got a defensive coordinator. I I just I don't know if making a change at, at midseason. I guess if they give up, you know, just tons of points in these next three games or next two games because that's where that's where it would happen it would be at the bye um that would be a possibility but it, it just feels it, it to me it feels like no matter how bad it gets that nothing's going to happen till the end of the season that they they're going to look over the, the the body of work of two full seasons it's not like changing lou at midseason is going to spark some wild second half rally although the schedule does get easier but it, it just feels to me like you no know, these Zach picked these guys. Um, he's all about ac- accountability, and I, I, it would almost look like he was making a scapegoat when whatever, if it's Lou or whoever it is, there's so many other issues that you you can't just pinpoint one guy. Yeah, I mean, I I don't I don't think Zach Taylor would want to fire Lou Anarumo. I think when you lose enough games, the pressure comes down of you have to do something. And especially when you have what's happening with Carlos and Gino on one side of the ball, we know how the organization feels about them to the point that they gave them all the money that they did and to see them disenchanted and everything else. Um, is there somebody that can come in and reconnect that relationship or are they putting that the toxicity there on Lou, you know, where, where is that lying? I don't, I don't know. I, I think it, I, I do think it would be the wrong move. I, I, you know, the Bengals are 18th in DVOA. Now they were, they were, I believe 14th last week on defensive side of the ball. Um, they've had some good games. The defense has kept them in some games. The defense should have credits for some wins under their belt. They don't because the offense blew it or turned it over or got Joe Burrow killed or whatever. I, we have seen midseason firings before, very recently. And in fact, they had gone fifty years without them, and then they went back to back years with Ken Zampezi and Terrell Austin. The last couple years of Marv. Um, so we have seen this happen recently around here. What's happening with the Bengals defense right now is not what was happening with Terrell Austin, and is not what was happening in that first couple of games with Ken Zampezi. That was the Bengals' offense. There was a near mutiny in the locker room. Now, people can talk about what's happening here, but it's I don't think that's what the case is here. Uh, when Ken Zampezi was rolled out, and that was a year plus um, of 
and they went the first two games with no touchdowns, and it was ugly. Terrell Austin was on pace to have the worst defense in the history of football. I mean, it was truly atrocious. They had a bye week, and Marv takes the wheel. Um, I, I, I don't. I don't think that's the right move. If you want to, you know, what we're seeing, you know, and, and credit Elise Jesse, uh, who used to work here at Channel 5 and is currently a stay-at-home mom in Connecticut, still breaking stories, as credible as she gets. She's very, very, very well connected. Has that, you know, Al Golden is involved in this third down de- uh, play calling, um, you know, setting the, the rushes, all that stuff. I That's not totally um, rare. Uh, Paul Gunther did that type of thing for Mike Zimmer. And that was a big part of his role and his emergence as Mike Zimmer's kind of right-hand guy here. That's, that's something we've seen here. It happens across the league. Now, how what exactly that is, we don't know the extent of exactly what that is um, that's going on. But, I, you know, you, you, can, you can see that part in place. Is it giving other people bigger roles, whatever? I don't know. Maybe that's what it is. I, I, don't, I don't think it would be a... Luana Rumo takes the midseason fall. I don't think it ends there. Uh, even even if they're one seven and one, there will be probably a lot of pressure too. Now, end of the season, there's got to be fall guys if your season goes as poorly as it could go at that point. But i i don't I don't see a midseason thing happening. Yeah, I don't either. Just for the reasons you said. Um, it, if it does, yeah, it feels like Lou would be the guy. But it, it just. It was the the Ken Zampezi one was two weeks into the season. They let him go, and the you talked about that when Marvin made the switch and took over. I believe that was fairly late. I I think it It was was right. It was no. It was one. It was a middle of the year bye, and then they played one more game after the bye because everyone was like, "Well, why didn't you just do it at at the the bye?" bye. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they didn't. Um, They gave him one more chance. I think because the schedule got a little easier after that. They had the Saints, I believe, right after the bye, if I remember correctly. Ran up like a, maybe a fifty burger on them. Yeah, there was it was like what three straight five hundred yard games, uh, yeah. and that that the, the third one was the the final straw for Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want your first game as a DC to be uh, against the, the Saints. Saints. No, no, go to Lamar Jackson's debut, which also didn't go well. For Marvin. <laughs> that was when he couldn't get the headset to work right. Remember. <laughs> He kept, oh, he kept pushing the wrong button, and then yeah, they, and no, then, that was the best part. He said, when, and I believe I think it was Sam Green did that trip for us. The Inquirer had that great picture of Marv looking down, not knowing how the buttons worked. <laughs> and then they uh, go to L.A. Right and it quits working altogether. Yes, right. Um, okay, so there's that. So the other the other part of the Lou conversation is what's happened with Gino and Carlos. And I I just want to dip back into this one last time, and, and quickly. I'm not trying to. You know, go any further. The 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 response I've heard most to the column I wrote and the podcast we had on Tuesday. If you haven't heard that, go back and listen to it. It's a delightful first fifteen minutes. Um, is that okay? Yes, Carlos. Yes, but Gino. No, I don't. I don't buy that. He's hurt, um, and that's what's going on there. Uh, yeah, obviously Carlos more so than Gino is at the the tip of the spear here. I mean, because he's the one being publicly vocal. He's the one doing the Instagram live look at me. He's the one that has been so far into a pretty toxic relationship. Um Gino's real as far as I know, Gino's relationship isn't something to, you know, hold, put up on a pedestal at this point anyway. We mentioned the captain thing last week. And it's it's it, 
it ju- it gets murky, right, when you start talking about injury and um, desire to play and things like that. And we went through this last year, whether we're talking about Cordy Glenn, whether we were talking about A.J. Green. And it's just this type of thing, it just can, when it continually goes on, at what point do we, you know, I, I, do we do we start calling a spade a spade? You know what I mean? And 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 is that Gino's fault that he ends up in this bucket that's already got people in it? Probably not. Um, and maybe and maybe it really is a matter of being hurt and all that. That doesn't change the situation where it's still part of that contingent that is unhappy. That is expressing frustration that is doing all that that is part of that group the the marvin vets that we keep talking about that faction which is still why i say just it's still time to move on for that fact and and the production is not there now that's just me obviously the full-on drama portion of this is on carlos but it does i don't think it changes the fact that you're still not getting much from geno atkins if if anything, he's he's a shell of himself, of what he was for certain. That's been trending for a while now. And if you're if you if you're having trouble with that whole group, and there's complaining and and all of that stuff going on and pointing the fingers, the toxicity that we talk about, he's he's in that. Whether he says words or what he says or not, he's he's in that. In, in my opinion, the, he is in it. the The curious thing is, you know, they. Carlos kind of earned this by not playing well and by not playing hard. They they had film. They had three, two, three games on it. He he basically was benched in the Cleve the first Cleveland game. You know that's not the case. With Gino's role hasn't been reduced because he he hasn't played well. I mean they brought him off the injury and put him in this limited role. I, the question is. Is that the plan for the rest of the year, or is this a sort of easing in it, where the shoulder maybe isn't a hundred percent? I mean, I guess this week will tell a lot because it's been two weeks now, and it's been what eighteen and nineteen snaps that he's played. Um, you you can't tell me that he's not, even though he's a shell of his former self. You can't tell me he's not better than some of these other guys that they have out there on first and second down. It is it. How much of this is the shoulder and how much of this is just kind of like punitive for the for being discontented or I don't even know if that's a word for being upset for for not being a leader in the locker room. Um, I don't, what do you think? Do you think we see more of Gino this week or do you think this this trend just continues and he's just a third down guy and that's what he is? I don't know. I mean, I, I think we'll see. We sh- you should see more of him. I assumed you'd see more of him last week. Yeah, it's like if you were good enough to play eighteen snaps, and a, your team desperately needs somebody on the inside to go play, um, and you should a you should want to play more snaps. And if it's the coaching staff telling him not to, um, that's a whole different conversation. Um, you know, but I, I don't get that impression. So I, you know, I, I to me, I thought he would last week. So should I expect it this week? I don't know. I don't know. Um, 
I just I just wanted to kind of just tie a bow around that because we've heard there's just a lot of the reaction to the column was was about why is Gino lumped in there too and and it's it's different because he's quiet about it but if you're doing the same things under the surface um if you're still part of that contingent under the surface um that is part of it um let's go to Zach Jackson Bengals Browns big game on Sunday certainly desperation game on Sunday uh insight from both sides talking about where things are at um I think you will enjoy this definitely a good look at what's going to go down at Paul Brown Stadium so here is Zach Jackson Let's take a quick break here for one of our sponsors. All right, now we're going to move on and uh, check back in in Cleveland, and that means finding our good friend from Civilized Barking, Zach Jackson. Zach, how's it going? What a pleasure to be with you guys. I mean, Isn't it? And you what, know, a, what a pleasure for football fans. The third time in seven games the Browns play the Bengals. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it really uh it's it's a rivalry that runs so deep and it it brings out such quality and such high stakes. Um but actually, you know, I'm I'm actually curious um last time we talked uh before Joe Burrow threw 61 passes remarkably in Cleveland um and was decapitated on the one by Miles Garrett. Um uh, last time we talked we talked about Baker Mayfield, shockingly, and sort of, but sort of like a crossroads season, and you know where where is it going to go? And you've kind of written more about that now, about the true wondering if Baker Mayfield is the guy up there. What what has maybe changed over this last month uh, to shed more light on that question? Uh, he hasn't played the Bengals since week two. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a quarter of his wins are against the Bengals. Um, his yeah. best numbers are against the Bengals. I mean, look, it's not like this is a completely overmatched, overwhelmed guy, right? The Browns have had that, right? Like John Manziel rolled out of bed and rolled out to the field, you know? Um, <laughs> Cody Kessler had no chance. Deshaun Kaiser had no business being out there. But um, I just think that the guy we're seeing now is the guy we saw for most of last year. It's the guy I saw in training camp and he hasn't been good enough. And, you know, what's different than all those guys and, and, you know, previous additions, this offense is built to win the defense. You can argue, right. Um, there's no arguing that it's been malpractice with the Browns changing everything on him and not, you know, supporting him in that way four head coaches in, in three years and all of that stuff. That's just outrageous. But, you know, the, his calling card was accuracy and he's missing the simple ones. And, you know, quite frankly, some of them are getting completed and he has thrown touchdowns and all of that. But every time he drops back, it's its own adventure. And until you get that consistency and unless you can hit the easy ones, you're not ever going to be the guy to get your team to where you really want to go. Statistically, he's trended towards Andy Dalton and Jameis Winston, you know, guys that were fine, but not good enough. And I, I just, I, I see a, more than a pattern, guys, uh, of a player that it is not headed towards that level that will ultimately get the Browns where they really want to go. So 
you know, that all that said, they're probably headed for the playoffs, right? The scheduling gods and the offensive firepower that they do have. I think Kevin Stefanski has done a great job in most areas, all things considered. And, and the roster is better than almost any time it's been in the 22 seasons that the Browns have been back. But I don't think Baker Mayfield's the guy, and I think there's enough proof to prove me right. You uh, you said you think they're heading toward the playoffs. Did did you drop the stat that I sent you on your <laughs> listeners and readers? <laughs> not yet. Um, <laughs> not yet, but that, that was pretty uh, astounding, you know. Um, Think about 2002 being the last time that they were in the playoffs. I mean, how different was the world, <laughs> right? How, how exactly. I think you and I were at OU together, weren't we? <laughs> um, I was there. They led the Steelers by 17 points in Heinz Field. It was the second year that Heinz Field was open. Um, they did not win the game. The next year they won in Heinz Field. And not only is that their only win in Heinz Field, but them winning that game allowed the Steelers to get Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, lots changed since then. <laughs> uh, I mean, you know, Rufus the Bobcat hadn't even thought <laughs> about punching Brutus in the eye yet. Yes, I mean, he had, time, hadn't even considered it. Yes, he was assaulting you know his fellow elementary school students, not his fellow <laughs> mascots. <laughs> Oh man, I I could I could I think we should really just talk at length about that story. Just every time we have you on, uh, it's, it's probably it's definitely more entertaining than uh, talking about the the X's and O's of of Bengals Browns. Why 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 should we believe that the Bengals would be able to beat the Browns on Sunday? Well, I, I mean, you know, the Browns thoroughly dominated the first game, right? They they didn't put it away. It came down to an onside kick, even though the Browns were kind of in charge, uh, and you know. That was week two, so everything's new and, and nothing was really figured out, right? Um, the other two reasons, I would say the Bengals are really good on special teams. The Browns have been not. And, you know, not that he wasn't a factor, but it was a quiet night for Joe Mixon. So, um, you know, throwing 61 passes is not ideal, specifically for a rookie on a short week in his second NFL game, right? So I, I just think this week um, the Bengals get – well, the first time they get a stop, it'll be the first time they get a stop against the Browns. But if they can get a couple and get Mixon going, then then this game is going to the fourth quarter. The D, I mean, the Bengals defense has been better. They did blow a 21-point lead in Indianapolis on Sunday, but they had a 21-point lead in Indianapolis. Yeah. Uh, and that was part of it, too. I mean, the defense really has had their moments. Um, and Joe Burrow has certainly had his moments. It's a matter of whether they can put it together that you know the big thing that stood out to me in Cleveland that I'm curious about the second time around especially you know without Nick Chubb I mean how different is the Browns running game because that was really the difference I mean the, when they lined it up uh in that with five and change left and the Bengals had pulled within a score and the Bengals needed to stop and the Browns just shoved it down their throat everyone in the building knowing they're running it and the Bengals couldn't stop it and that's back when they had DJ Reader um and Sam Hubbard up front, and now they don't. Uh, I, I just wonder how if if the Browns' running game is still the same machine uh, that it was then. Because to me, that is what spells problems for the Bengals. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Paul, on that assessment. And I would say it's still a good running game, but it's not a phenomenal running game without Nick Chubb. I mean, Nick Chubb is flat out one of the best players in the league. Not running backs, you know, not unsung heroes. 
The guy is phenomenal. He is low maintenance, high production, hard to tackle, turns two yarders into four and four into eight or 10 or 80. Right. So um, they're also missing their right guard, Wyatt Teller, who hurt a lot of Bengals feelings in that game. And and the line (laughs) was not the same. So the Bengals aren't coming out with the Steelers front seven and just pushing the Browns back as what happened last week. But between missing that key component in the trenches and and your best running back, um, it is not the same. Dearness Johnson is a power runner who could be almost any team's, you know, number two or three running back and and knows how to get tough yards, requires multiple guys to tackle him. And Kareem Hunt is a former NFL rushing champion and is dynamic and catches the ball out of the backfield and really has a knack for, um, you know, not going down, extending plays, things like that. But he's, he's, he's not Nick Chubb. And specifically, he's not Kareem Hunt slicing through the Bengals after Nick Chubb has run at them 15, 18, 20 times, which is what we saw, Paul. So, yeah. So the Browns played bully ball. Um, you know, early in that game, they had wide open receivers. And, and I would say that Austin Hooper is a lot bigger part of the past game than he was then. And, and we know that the Bengals struggled with Odell Beckham. So, I do expect the Browns to move it, um, but yeah, I, I don't expect the Browns to come out and and just make that statement and do whatever they want in the run game. Uh, if they do, then then it will be, you know, not a game. But I would think the the Bengals will be, you know, basically keying on the run and uh, daring Baker Mayfield to beat them. You know, in that first game, they kind of they basically used Chubb to set up Hunt. I don't think Hunt had a carry until midway through the third quarter. Are, there, are is Johnson kind of in that same role or are they is it more of a mix now or was that was that game just an outlier where they it, it, since that game they've been more mixed in terms of who gets the the spread of the carries. Yeah, Jay, I mean that was the rotation is is um Chubb was all the first half primary carries, Hunt mixed in a little bit and then they would share kind of in the second half. Now it's mostly Hunt, and he is supremely talented um, compared to Johnson, but he has not been 100%. Um, so they have had to mix that up. I think what they've done is um, they'll use the fullback a little bit, but they'll use a lot of two tight ends. They'll run Jarvis and Odell on end arounds, quick shovels, things like that. Um, and really, you know, Kareem is best in the screen game and on the perimeter. So you, the, the answer is you will see both backs and you will see Kareem Hunt, you know, in position to make a bunch of big plays, but I don't think you'll see him in the fourth quarter, just ready to rip off 80 yarders. I'd still start him in fantasy though. That's for yeah. sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Start all your Browns. There's a, there's an interesting X factor in this game that everyone knows, but I think, you know, maybe certainly for Browns fans that ha- haven't been watching uh, all the Bengals games as closely. Joe Burrow is getting much better. And he is, I will say, he's not the same guy, you know, that he was in Cleveland, nor should you have expected him to be, considering mm-hmm. that was his second game and in a short week as he's still learning the NFL game. He's taken a big, you, you in some really, really important stats, in particular his efficiency stats and his intermediate game. 
uh, he has taken some huge strides uh, over, and you can see it every week. The numbers go up another yard per attempt in in on in key categories, whether it's you know it's completed air yards or uh, you know per attempt, or whether it's intermediate completion percentage, all this stuff. And now hitting the they actually hit a deep ball, believe it or not, their second, their first since CJ Uzama scored a touchdown in Cleveland, their first ball completed over twenty yards in the air since then with a deep uh, connection to T Higgins in Indianapolis, but Burrow. It's the only thing that's been missing of his game. I mean, he has really turned into a monster back there. Baltimore handed him his lunch, as they have handed many teams mm-hmm. their lunch uh, this year. Uh, but I, I, rookie stinker against maybe the best defense in football, I don't really hold over his head. If you take that game out, every single week he's been more efficient. He's been more dynamic. He's been more confident as a playmaker. You know, I, I think you know this has a chance to be a game where he can kind of plant his flag in this series a little bit and kind of save this team that is in such a bad way after getting their butts kicked in Baltimore and blown a 21-point lead in Indianapolis uh, of a lot of questions being asked and a lot of hot seats being heated up. Yeah. For, you know, they don't forget the Bengals uh, have the Steelers and Titans the next two weeks after this. <laughs> so 1-7-1 and one is staring them in the face if they can't find a way to beat Cleveland. And I think you better believe everybody in the building knows it. I, if there's a, if there's a, trick that they have up their sleeve it's probably coming out sunday yeah i mean this is two desperate teams right i mean the browns got thoroughly humiliated last week and guys this is going to sound bizarre coming off a 38-7 loss but the browns defense has played much better um specifically against the pass it got gashed against the run last week but big ben didn't even have 150 yards you know they give they they just let james connor do what they want they gave points away on the pick six and then eventually chase claypool made a couple of plays but uh, before that, you know, they beat the snot out of Phillip Rivers. Phillip Rivers handed the Browns the game and the Browns took it. So, um, you know, Miles Garrett is a mega, mega star. He has hit that next year. Uh, Denzel Ward at corner is a superstar. Everybody else is kind of in between. They, You know, the defensive line has been pretty good. It was pretty absent last week. But, you know, they will give the Bengals offensive line fits. Miles My, is the headliner. He's not the only one. So you have to attack them in the back seven where they're kind of rotating linebackers looking for answers. Um, they've had to rotate DBs because of injuries and circumstances. If Burrow just doesn't throw it to Denzel Ward, um, and it, it looks like from the last couple of weeks that he and T. Higgins have really kind of taken off, there will be those chances there. And you're right, that, that's one thing that does stand out. You know, 61 completions and a lot of impressive plays in the first game. <clears throat> but Miles turned him over, and a lot of them were just five-yarders, right? Um going all the way down the field. So uh, that 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 will be a big deal. But the Browns defense has been better. So what was it, 35-30? I mean, I think – and this sounds a little like famous last words as I get ready to spit it out. I think it's more like 24-20, uh, you know, kind of last possession game here. Maybe it turns into a shootout again. But I think both defenses uh, step up comparatively – and, you know, and then both quarterbacks have to make a play to either, you know, stem the tide or maybe push it to a two score game uh, in that second half and really put pressure on the other guy. You know, I can't remember from the first game. Uh, is Ward a guy that they travel? Does he does he just stick with the the other team's best receiver? or Does he just stay on a side? No, he mostly plays a side. Okay. Um, he did end up on a lot of A.J. Green in the first game. There are circumstances where he has, but he mostly 
uh, plays a side and Terrence Mitchell plays the other. The second rounder from last year, Greedy Williams, is on IR and has not played. Um, they've stabilized the slot position where veteran Kevin Johnson has been in. He was not available for that first game, and the Bengals just just feasted. So not that Tyler Boyd can't have another big game, uh, but they've, they've kind of upgraded there. And, and like I said, it, during the four-game win streak, Miles either had a game-changing turnover or a game-changing play, at least one in all four of those games. Um, he had the safety on Phillip Rivers. He had the strip sack on Burrow. He had a strip sack on Dak Prescott. They turned Washington over five times. That That's how they've lived. Um, the Browns are like on offense. Yes, we're a run team, but we're going to go, go, go with, with whatever we can find. And on defense, we're going to live off the turnovers. And during that streak, they created the turnovers. They cashed them in. Last week, they turned the ball over. They didn't have a chance. So, you know, as cliche as that is, I think that's what it really comes down to. Um, you know, when you do force those mistakes, you have to catch them in. Last time they turned Burrow over what on the two-yard line and walked in on the next play. Hmm. Sounds to me like Bobby Hart's going to be t- trending on Twitter on Sunday. <laughs> Isn't he always? <laughs> Isn't he always right? Like, I don't even know what Bobby Hart looks like, but I feel like I know him well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, anytime Miles Garrett is lined up in front of him or Alex Redman, or really any combination of uh, Bengals offensive linemen that, aren't, that linemen that aren't Jonah Williams, I think uh, we, we, we know exactly what's probably is. is and they've be. moved Miles around a lot, a lot more in, in this defense. Um, and he told us, which I thought was was interesting that there are situations or packages, I guess, where he has the liberty to choose if he likes a matchup. Um, he has played over the right tackle this year more than he has in the previous two years, but he has definitely logged snaps at both. They didn't have Olivier Vernon in the first game, who's not a great player, but he's a really strong, solid player. Uh, and since coming back a couple of games ago, he's made some plays. So both yeah, you're right, Paul. Basically, what you said. Both tackles will be under pressure all day, and inside they have Ogunjobi and Sheldon Richardson, uh, both of whom are playing for money going forward. And you know those guys can be a load too. In yet another uh, of uh, consistent themes uh, with Bengals games this year, going to come down to that offensive line finding a way to hold it together somehow uh, to keep Joe Burrow upright. I believe in the first game I, I went back and I tracked it there. I, I made up my own stat for hits because there was technically 21 pressures mm-hmm. uh, in that game, but it was, it was, there was a lot of like, okay, he got rid of it. And then a guy maybe tapped him on the shoulder with a finger, but there were five ouches and five goddamns on uh on burrow in that game uh including the 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 sack they could probably use about half of both of those if they want to if they want to try to win i think that's uh, that's that's great stat keeping first of all yeah no it is it is totally subjective i think that launched a, a a run of for miles i think he had at least seven or nine pressures over the next four games and you know that's not a huge number, but like to do that consistently, and when you think about it, like that's a that's a pretty wild number. And if and if he gets to that, if if Miles is altering seven plays or nine plays, you know it's going to be really tough for the Bengals. There is no doubt. I look forward to uh, I look forward to the game on Sunday as I always do uh, of the Battle of Ohio as everyone does inside of this state. It's 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 the most exciting game going. Uh, Heated, most heated rivalry in sports. Step aside, Ohio State, Michigan. Uh, boo, the boo is here. So, uh, Zach, thanks for your time. Appreciate it as always. Zach Jackson from Civilized Barking. Uh, good to have you. And hope we'll we'll talk to you when both these teams streak to the playoffs. <laughs> 
it's kind of like a playoff game. Uh, it, 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 it is. Like you said, if the Bengals don't win, it goes downhill in the firing the coach talk quickly, which happens, you know, every other year here. Um, yeah. If, you know, if the Browns don't win, then everybody presses the panic button. So we'll see. Yeah, that's it. I'll, we'll be calling you back for advice on how you handle a team that <laughs> considers firing a coach after 22 games. It's been there, done that, fellas. Good talking <laughs> with you. All right, let's just take a quick break. Always great to hear from Zach about the lovely world of what's happening on in Cleveland. Although he's talking about desperation games. They're four and two, Jay. Desperation. The Browns are four and two. Celebration. That's what it should be. He's talking about playoffs. You've got stats on that, though, don't you? I do. Those two losses are important in their future because they were both blowout losses to the Ravens and the Steelers. And I thought about that. I thought, well, how many times has a team lost multiple games by at least 31 points and, and still made the playoffs? And so since the NFL merger in 1970, it's only happened five times. Um, rarely do you get blown out like that multiple times in a season and, and still be good enough to rebound and, and make the playoffs. Uh, one, of those, one of those teams was the 1970 Cowboys. They went on and went to the Super Bowl, but most of the other teams, those other four teams that that overcame two 31-point losses flamed out of the playoffs pretty quick. And most teams that do it don't even make the playoffs. And the Browns, as we know, don't often make the playoffs. <laughs> These are all facts. Uh, um, let's, uh, you know, if the if the Bengals are going to win on Sunday, it's going to be about Joe Burrow. You had another really interesting stat that I'm curious to hear. This is another one of those where you have the answers and I don't know them. Uh, so Joe Burrow, if he goes over 300 on Sunday, will have done it five of seven games. Yep. So you looked up the history of some, of, of any player at any point going for over 305 of the first seven games, right? Yeah. Yeah. We've, we've focused on what, what kind of rookie records he's been doing all along, but I wanted to look and see just any quarterback at any point in his career, um, how many times did he throw for at least 300 yards in five of his first seven games? And there's only been 14 quarterbacks to do it. Um, some of them have done it multiple times. Uh, Drew Brees has done it five times. But that Drew Brees is a good starting point on that list because this list of 14 guys, it shows you the company that Joe Burrow is in or can be in with a 300-yard uh, performance on Sunday, just the start to this career. Um, that that list, the names on this list, Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Kurt Warner, Philip Rivers, Aaron Rodgers, Dan Fouts, Joe Montana, Steve Young, and Tom Brady are either Hall of Famers or F Hall of Fame locks. The other names on the list, Matt Ryan, who just did it last year, Patrick Mahomes, Andrew Luck, Drew Bledsoe. And Rich Gannon did it in the, their Super Bowl year in 2002. That's some pretty heady company. That is some really heady company. Uh, Rich Gannon is the only name on there that makes you say, eh, and he went to the Super Bowl that year. Right. I mean, everybody else, there's a chance that almost all of those could end up in the Hall of Fame. That I, That is a hell of a list to join. Now, the league is different these days. Um, you have more passing, you have more yardage, but that said, 
even that said, that's um, for a guy to do that in his first seven games uh, is that's that's an incredible that's incredible company to join. Wow, you're just full of the big stats this week. Well, what else am I going to write about the matchups for the <laughs> boo? <laughs> it's true. That's true. We'll get into those here in a second. First, I want to go to Bengals Growler bet. Shout out Bill Douglas, who hit the 78.3. Hit the 78.3 on us last week um, to win a Growler of Delicious 50 West Beer uh, on us, of course. Very, very exciting to have all you people keep winning the beer that I have to buy for you. Okay? Great. It's about to get harder. Okay, enough winners. If you can hit this, congratulations. I'm not up any antes. I'm not saying I'll give you double. We're not doing double growlers. We've been really nice with the growlers so far this year, but it's really starting to backfire on me. So here's what we got this week. Longest Browns run. That seems like a that could be a tough number, right? It could be a tough number. Times Huber punts. So longest Browns run of the game. So Kareem Hunt for 37 times number of times Kevin Huber punts. So 37 times four is your number. If you, whatever that ends up being, I don't have the math in front of me, whatever it is, that's, that would be your final number would be that combination. Uh, Longest Browns run times Huber punts. Jay, do you, do you have one? I do. Um, I'm just going to go with a nice round number of 200, a longest run of 25, and eight Huber punts. If someone gets this, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, all right, 148 is my number. Uh, That's 37 times four. That's what I'm going with. So um, we'll see if that happens. If someone wins, if someone wins. The rants are only going to get louder, people. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's get into predictions for Sunday. Give me – let's do a, a key and a prediction for you. Let's, what's, what's your key? We talked a little bit about these with Zach, but we'll, we'll go ahead and go back in here. Yeah, I mean, my key is Miles Garrett. And, you know, he Zach talked about how much he's lining up on the on the the against the right tackle so much more this year. And we all know – Bengals right tackle is Bobby Hart. Um, that's not a good recipe. Um, the Browns got to Burrow for three sacks, but hit him so many times in that first game. Um, I, I just, it, I just think that's going to be the issue here. Is we're going to see more sacks. Uh, the, the Bengals are going to struggle to to move the ball. I don't think we're going to see a thirty five thirty high scoring game this time. I think it's going to be much lower scoring and. Miles Garrett's going to do some damage. Yeah, I I don't know. I think that I think it's going to feel kind of similar to the last game. Not necessarily <clears throat> the Bengals are going to have to throw it 61 times. If they have to do that, that's the disaster. I mean, that's they can't be playing from behind again. Of course, <laughs> I don't know if we want to play it from ahead at this point after <laughs> what we saw last week. So you know what? What are they? What is best? I don't. I don't know. But it, it being in a situation where you have to drop back and throw it that many times is bad. You don't want Burrow up in the high forties for attempts. 
You just don't want to have to do that. They're too good. They're going to get back there and get theirs. And you got to figure out whether it's chips and screens and running the ball more. Find ways to try to try to flip that uh, a little bit. Find ways to try and stop the run. You know, we saw them do that a little bit in Baltimore. If they can, if they can lock into some of the stuff they did in Baltimore to slow down that Ravens rushing attack, you can see the recipe for slowing down the Browns and winning this game and letting Baker Mayfield throw you one or two, which he did last time. William Jackson with a pick of him last time and, and converting those and win. Jay, that, that 11-0 stat is just in my crawl. Mine too. 11-0 after a 21-point first half lead is lost. That, I, that stat is just it, it's having a hard time letting go of it. And a home game... You know, they've won some home games. They've beaten the Browns at home not that long ago. The William Jackson concussion makes me nervous. That could be a problem. Uh, we'll see what comes of that. I I am reluctant to do this. But I think I might do this. I'm. Uh, it's hard to say. It's hard to say it out loud. I'm going to go 12 and 0. Bengals win 24-23 over the Browns. No, 30 to 31-28. Wow. 31-28. Bengals over Browns. I don't know what's wrong with me at this point. <laughs> <laughs> It's just, it's it's just it's just a feel. It's just a feeling. It's a feeling I have in the overreaction league and the eleven and zero stat and everything else that's gone on this week. Home game. I'm going. Bengals win thirty one twenty eight. Final final answer. Yeah, the eleven and zero is a big one for me. And then I've got one more stat for you here. Uh, since ninety nine, when the Browns came back into the league, um, they they've had. 65 chances to sweep a division opponent. Um, they've done it four times. Now, some of those games, you know, you you lose the the first game and then it's out the window. But there there have been 20 times that they won the first game against a division opponent and they pulled off a sweep only four out of 20 times. And that's that's a case here. They they won the first game against the Bengals. I, I just like last year, I think the Bengals get the split. I think it's going to be much lower scoring than you do. I'm, I, I think it's going to be seventeen to sixteen. I predicted this last week and it didn't work out that way. But I, I do think this is going to be a much more of a defensive slog. Um, the Browns' defense against that Bengals' offensive line, I think, is going to keep the points down. And I just don't think Baker Mayfield is right. So that that's where I'm going to go. I'm not going to call a bullock field goal at the gun. I'm not that crazy. But I am going to say 17 to 16 Bengals. The last two times the Bengals were swept by the Browns in the season, they fired their coach at the end of it. That was in 2002 and 2018. Yes. Uh, So must win. We talked about that at the top. Uh, Could be. Uh, All right. That wraps it up. Another delightful, uplifting edition. <laughs> the podcast. I mean, has any podcast needed a win more just for morale of like tone? 
it's, I mean, we we try to have fun on here, and it's just the topics. It's hard. This it, we we have to talk about what's happening. We have to talk about what you are talking about. We have to talk about what you want to see or the questions you have. And it's just dark right now. <laughs> oh, wait till next week if they lose this game. <laughs> oh, I don't know. We, we shall see. But thanks to everybody that has stuck with us, that is listening. We, we love having you. Um, we hope that you are a subscriber to The Athletic and catch all the coverage we have up there now. Uh, if you want to be a subscriber, theathletic.com slash hear that podcast growl, and you can go there and click on any link. And we will. You can subscribe. We have discount offers, free trials, all of those things uh, available for you. So we we hope you would join. If not, thanks for listening. We appreciate it, and we will uh, talk to you on the walkout after the boo on Sunday at Paul Brown Stadium. Have a good one.